about Noah today. I'm Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here in the garden. And we're starting this new series where we go through and we're doing like a narrative of the scripture and we're taking Old Testament and New Testament events and then we're tying them to New Testament concepts, mostly in Matthew. And it's going to be pretty cool to see some of those things. But today, as we discuss Noah, there's a lot of things about this story that many people don't know. And mainly because we never really study the the story of Noah's Ark from a New Testament perspective. We look at the story in Genesis, we read it, we know about the animals and we know about all that stuff, but we don't usually take an in-depth study and look at what the New Testament says. I'm going to tell you this, when I was in college, an impending academic deadline of any type was incredible motivation for me to get my work done. I mean, for 24 hours, right? My academics would get priority over everything. Dating, eating, personal hygiene, (laughs) laundry, virtually everything came second fiddle to my academics because there was a deadline. And today we're going to look at what a pending deadline did for Noah and what it can do for us depending upon the state of our relationship with Heavenly Dad. So the scripture that we're going to look at today, that's, uh, just give you a heads up, this isn't working, Mike, there we go, I can't swim, is the name of the message, appropriate, right, creative, this is not advancing, so just to let you guys know, I know if you want to fix it later, all right, let me read Genesis chapter 6, 11 through 18, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth, so make yourself a big old boat. That's the King Joe version, the big old boat. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth and destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it Everything on the earth will perish, but I will establish my promise with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Try that one? Okay. Great. So let's talk about the state of mankind and what had happened. First of all, um, so they're all going to come up all at once now. Okay, there we go. First of all, the line of Cain had taken over, just so you can rewind a little bit. Remember, there was, there was Cain and Abel, and, and Cain had killed Abel, and God said, I've appointed another seed, his name is Seth. And God said, but you, Cain, you're going to have many descendants, but you can no longer, and he cast him out. Well, the, the, the evil line of Cain has taken over the earth at this point. And the scripture says, man's heart was to do evil continually. That's what's going on right now with the state of mankind. The evil line of Cain has taken over. Only Noah and his family are left as those who are people who call upon the name of the Lord, people who worship God. They were the the last Presbyterians on earth, people. (laughs) That was it. The Baptists had joined Cain, the Catholics. It was just the... I'm just joking, people. Don't get... No, email me at megmooneyandhotmail.com if you're upset. I just... All right. It was incredible, unthinkable wickedness. 
Like you, you're impressed by the wickedness today in the world. It was nothing compared to the days of Noah. The worst it's ever been, before or after. And most of the people lived their lives without the knowledge of impending judgment. As a matter of fact, as the rain began to fall, which they'd never seen before, by the way, it had never rained before, they were mocking Noah. This is it? This is what you're afraid of? It's a little drop? Yes, I know we haven't seen it before, but that's okay. It's no big deal. Look at this passage. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. They were clueless. There was an impending deadline right before their face, and they were living life as if there were nothing wrong. Let's look at the response from God. First of all, he says in that passage I read to you, he's going to put an end to all people. You know how bad it must have been for God to say, you know what, there's no room for grace here. i got to kill them all. That's pretty significant, don't you think? They've done such a bad job, and their corruption has gotten so bad, I have to destroy them, and I've got to cleanse the earth. Everything on earth will perish. These are quotes from God in that passage. But in the midst of that darkness, God makes a covenant with Noah, a promise. And the scripture says God waited for Noah to build the ark. And then the scripture says something very interesting to us. It says God saves them. But it's not the ark the scripture teaches us that saves them. Did you know that? It was the water. Look at this passage who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, and in only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. You know, a lot of times we focus on the ark, and the ark was the... No, the Scripture teaches us in more than one place that it was the water that God used to save Noah and his family. So there are some fascinating connections that Paul and Peter make in the New Testament regarding the flood and the work of Jesus. In fact, they are unmistakable and clearly staked out for us to see. Look at this passage in Matthew 8. This is kind of where the narrative kind of takes a little bit of a more illustrative turn, right? I'm going to read this passage to you, then tie a bunch of other New Testament passages together with it. And when he got in the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there rose a great storm in the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus was asleep. And he woke up. They, woke, they went and woke him up, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose up, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? It's important for us to understand what this passage teaches us is this that Jesus is stronger than creation. Creation is subjected to Jesus' authority. But also Jesus and God use creation to fulfill their plan. 
Let's look at some, new, some other New Testament ways that I want to look at this. First of all, the flood is a picture of Jesus in two ways. And, and when you leave today, I don't want you thinking so much about Noah and the ark and the animals. You, you've seen the movies. Some of them are terrible. The one that just came out recently is the worst. I mean, my good, I'd rather watch cartoons than that, right? But there's been other, some very good ones. You know, there's some good movies. But you understand the story of Noah. So instead of focusing on all those specifics, let's talk about the way that the whole story of the flood is a picture of Jesus. First of all, it's a picture. We see this in Matthew 24, 39. I'm going to read this to you. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. People lived as though they didn't know anything about what was coming. And the Scripture teaches us in Matthew 24, 39, that's kind of exactly the way it's going to be when Jesus returns. The second thing is, while he used water the first time, next time it will be fire. Look in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And so this is the day of judgment, and I want you to understand that while the first one there was water, the whole world was judged and cleansed by that water, the second time this happens, according to Scripture, it will be judged and cleansed by fire. So there is a picture there of Noah and the flood and Jesus and judgment. Because the water is a picture of his coming day of judgment in that respect. I hope you can see that. Let's look at this passage here. See, there's a concept here that judgment will purify that which has been corrupted by sin. You hear that? The concept is that, you know, we think of judgment as always bad, and yes, it's scary. Yes, we want to avoid judgment. We want, to, we want to avoid judgment by grace through faith in Christ who died for us on the cross and was resurrected so that we could live in him. But there is another aspect of judgment that is necessary. It cleanses wickedness, darkness, corruption, infection. So we have to understand that. But then watch this passage. <clears throat> See the picture of grace when it comes to Noah's Ark and the story. Who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In one passage, Peter says the flood was a picture of judgment, and it's also a picture of grace. Isn't that amazing? I mean, isn't it great how the Scripture is the best teacher for the Scripture? So the water is clearly a picture of his grace. The flood... There are two things here, the flood and the water. The flood, which is made of water, is a picture of judgment, but the water itself is a picture of his grace. First of all, the flood swept away the evil influence on Noah to live as though there were no God or judgment. There wasn't, think about it, he's the only, his family, the only Presbyterians left 
in the whole world. I know I'm going to get emails about that, but that's okay. My mom's going to be mad at me. She'll listen on the podcast and say, you know, I'm Methodist. She'll be mad. She will. I'm just kidding. Methodists are great. Baptists are great. All right, so we sit here and we see this situation where the flood swept away all the evil influence. Could you imagine if you were the only ones left on the earth to call upon the name of the Lord, the tremendous pressure that would be upon your shoulders? The influences around you, how difficult it would be to say, no, I am going to continue to follow the Lord. So in some ways, when God works his cleansing judgment, there is some grace involved in that. And just like baptism, the water is a symbol of the cleansing of creation, the cleansing of our hearts and minds that comes through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul even says, Creation groans, waiting for the day of redemption. What redemption and how is it going to be redeemed? The scripture says by fire. So you can begin to see how this picture of Noah gives us a great illustration of judgment, which cleanses, and grace, which forgives. Well, before I read that, I'll put that up there. I'm going to read a couple passages to you. In Revelation 21.1, here's what the Scripture says. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Okay, did you just hear that? I saw a new heaven. This is after the judgment. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first earth had passed away. And what do we know Peter says? How was that going to be done? By fire. And he said, there was no more sea. The instrument of God's first judgment on the earth is wiped away. And then in 2 Corinthians 15, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. Both places become new. The earth and his people. Both things are made new by the act of God. And so as we think about this, and I'm almost done here today, my goal is, and I know some of this is kind of deep, kind of wonky, theological, seminary-type, feely kind of stuff, and maybe it's kind of hard to grasp, and if it's hard to grasp, it's my fault. But I'm trying to make sure that you understand that when we look at the Old Testament, as we go through this narrative series over the next several months, what I want you to do every week when you come in here is don't focus just on the story that you might know so well, but ask yourself, how does this story relate to me today? And we'll try to do our best job of taking the New Testament and explaining to you what the New Testament teaches you about that story and what you're supposed to learn from it. Today it's this, two pictures, judgment and grace. And with that in mind, this is the last kind of concept that I want to talk about for just a minute. The flood is either a picture of judgment or the water, a reminder of new life we have in Jesus. Which picture applies to you? So as you're here thinking about the story of Noah and the flood and the two applications that it gives us, judgment 
or grace. The question that is posed to you today as I try to help this become your story is this. When I think about the flood, am I embracing grace? Do I have a relationship with Heavenly Dad that allows me to say, yes, that's the picture I can cling to? Or are you in a situation where maybe you don't know Heavenly Dad yet and you're just kind of feeling it out, trying to figure it out? Is there a sense of anxiety about judgment? There are two concepts that you have to wrestle with. The flood is either a warning or a promise. The world got the warning and Noah got the promise. And the scripture is very clear. In this day and age, the same lesson applies. I'm going to read that passage to you again and then we're going to be done. 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21. If I can back up to it. Who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus. Are you verse 20? Or are you verse 21? You're one or the other. There's not a verse in the middle that you could have an escape clause. 